Hello, welcome to the podcast. My name is Sophia. Disclaimer, I may talk fast in this, but I promise I'm not angry. Well, maybe a little irritated, I won't lie to you. But to be fair, the Bible does have a history of people imposing their generational culture beliefs into scripture, and they do it to oppress people they see as different. And it's nothing wrong with the Bible, but with how people interpret its stories. So if you believe in Jesus as I do, I believe that he loves us all equally. And it's humans that try to complicate that. With that said, the whole reason of this podcast is because I think we're supposed to be, you know, one big family. And I don't really see that in the world. Oh, that is so cringy. I don't know if I'm going to put that in. Well, oh well. Anywho, I hope that this topic resonates with you and opens your heart just as it did mine. But other than that, let's get into it, guys being gay is not a sin. For starters, the Bible never mentions the word homosexual, let alone the concept of them being in a monogamous relationship. Yet I know that there are a few modern translations that have included it into their version of the Bible. And the reason I say their version is because we have to remember that the Bible was originally written in Hebrew and Greek thousands of years ago. And the word homosexual wasn't even even created until the 1800s. And it was only first included into the Bible in 1946. And this was the RSV version, which they even revised to replace with sexual perverts. Now, you may be thinking, well, that's a that's a pretty big difference. How did they miss the mark so severely? And we have to remember that different languages don't translate over exactly. Add a thousand year cultural differences on top of that. Um, Yeah, so a little challenge I have for everyone is to find those verses and compare them to the original text so you can get a better idea of what the original message was trying to portray. Um, There are books, articles, and I even saw a movie called 1946 that talk about this issue. So you have a lot of resources out there. But with that said and homework given, I get that we all want an answer for this, but the reality is that God didn't give us a clear answer. So that leaves us with, well... That doesn't make sense. Why wouldn't God include this? Did he not know this was going to be in our world? Why wouldn't he give us a clear answer? And I know it's, 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 it's really frustrating. Trust me. I can't tell you how many times I wanted to clear answer things and I did not get them. And I'm learning that he does this for a particular reason because of something called character development. No, but seriously, I think it's great that we look to the Bible for guidance, especially on topics like this what we're supposed to do but i think too often we look at the bible as if it's a rule book when in reality it's a story and the reason for that is because god wants us focused on a bigger picture he doesn't want us reading the bible with the intent of writing down a list of rules like it's some formula that we can crack because if he wanted us just to follow a list of rules and it was if it was that simple to get our ticket to heaven by following a list of rules that's what the bible would be but it's not because you can't rule follow your way into becoming a christian your heart has to change that character development. So this is why it's important to read the Bible for yourself so you can understand who God is for yourself and not have to rely on what other people say God is. You'll learn what his bottom lines are, what his morals are. And so that when topics like this come up, you know God well enough that you would know what his stance would be. I mean, think of it this way. Let's say you get to pick a date out for your friend and there's a lineup of suitors. One of them's an Olympic athlete, next one's an accountant, other one does charity work, and the last one's an Instagram influencer. 
because you know your friend well enough, you would be able to pick out of this lineup. Not because they gave you a list of they need to be this tall, they need to have this hair color, they need to do this profession. You just know your friend that you know what they would lean towards. And same thing with God. When you read this, you learn about who he is and you would know what he would lean towards. Not because he gave you a real book, but because you know him. So what better way to know who he is than by studying the living, breathing God himself, Jesus? I'm going to share two parables about him. Um, but before I do so, I'm going to give some background context. You could skip this, but I don't really recommend it because it'd be like eating food without seasoning. It'll work, but it won't hit the same. So glad you're here. Moses, Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments can be summed up into two morals. The first five can be summed up into showing people how to love God, keep the Sabbath holy, don't have any other idols. And the last five can be summed up into showing people how to love each other. Don't murder, don't covet. Now, after receiving these commandments, you see a pattern of the people just straight up rebel against them loopholes, rebel, yada, yada. So Moses and God get together and God gives Moses more laws. I'm going to call them laws at this point. So God gives them more laws. Then you see more rebellion. Then you see more laws and you get more rebellion, more laws, more rebellion. And this goes on all the way up until they have 613 laws. Now at the end of this, Moses is like, okay, I know that you guys are never going to follow all these laws because it's not the laws that are important, it's your hearts. And no amount of laws can fix your hard hearts. So him and mainly Isaiah prophesies that a Messiah is going to come and show them how to do these two things, how to love God and how to love others. And they're talking about Jesus. Fast forward to when Jesus is up on the scene, 613 laws, that is a lot. There ends up being this Jewish government called the Sanhedrin, which are like the Supreme Court of Jewish law. And within them are these people called the Pharisees, which are like Supreme Court judges. They know, they could recite scripture verbatim. They're going around making sure everybody knows the laws or enforcing the laws. Like they're the top of the top religious people. And you would think that if a Messiah were to come down, that he would come and join this group. And remember how I said the 613 laws, they're basically strict guidelines so that people wouldn't have to think about what it meant to love God and to love others. And one of those is keeping the Sabbath holy, which the Sabbath is a day where they just wanted people focused on spending time with God. That's how you show him his love, spending time with him. So they're like, all right, let's make a whole day dedicated to it. And I don't want you doing any work. I don't want you using work as an excuse as to why you can't spend time with God, hustle and bustle of life. So there's like 40 plus laws about what you could and could not do on the Sabbath. And a lot of them were against doing any type of work like you couldn't harvest grain you couldn't weave a basket god forbid you went out and got a fish like just no work so the first parable that i'm going to share is called jesus is lord of the sabbath now i'm going to give you a spark notes version of the first part so i don't read the whole thing and, and lose you along the way so at the time jesus's disciples are out in the town and while they're walking about, his disciples get hungry. And his disciples pick some grain. And the Pharisees see this and they're like, do you not know that it's the Sabbath? How 
dare you let your disciples pick grain and disrespect God like that? Uh-uh. And so that's the type of energy they're giving him. And so Jesus, this is his response to them. He sell, he, He tells the Pharisees, I tell you, something greater than the temple is here. Something better than those restrictive rules. And if you had known what this means, the whole meaning behind the rules, love God, love others. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. Just people minding their own business. For the son of man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Now, this last line is just a very bold claim because not anyone can be like, okay, let go of those old ways and focus on something different. He's kind of just saying like, I am God. I made the Sabbath. How are you about to tell me what I can and cannot do on the Sabbath? Um, so after reading this, I wanted to point out, what does this tell you about Jesus' character? Does this sound like a God who's interested in imposing restrictive beliefs on people? Or does this sound like a God who just cares about the well-being of people? And, you know, Jesus is so revolutionary because, again, he came and told us that we don't need to follow those restrictive laws to receive God's favor. You just need to love him and love others. And, you know, if you're gay, you're definitely loving others. And if you're gay, you can love God. So where's where's the problem? I don't understand how people say, well, if you're gay, you hate God. What? I don't, where did you get hate into that equation? Like the only hate I ever see added to the situation is the hate that outside people add to it. So, and be careful with that because you'll find that Jesus most often strongly rebuked religious leaders because they held on so tightly to their belief that they knew what was right and wrong in God's eyes that that gave them a right to go around judging and condemning people as if they were God. But he says right here, if you had known what this means, you would not have condemned the guiltless. He's basically saying, if you had known me, you would know that I wouldn't want you using my name as an excuse to play judge, jury, and executioner over each other. That's not what you're called to do. Let me handle the judge, jury, and executioner part. You just focus on how you can love God and how you can love others. Because you end up just being mean to someone who you, one, barely know, and two, you don't know what they're going through. And that doesn't bring people to God. We're supposed to be fishers of men, right? How is you... Jesus Jesus didn't change people and bring him and bring people to him by acting like a Pharisee. He changed people by being loving and compassionate even to people that the Pharisees deemed unholy. That's that's a true Christian. That's who we're supposed to mimic. So I wanted to highlight again, he says I desire mercy and not sacrifice. So why is mainstream religion demanding that gays sacrifice a relationship with someone that they love? He said, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. Why are they having to sacrifice a relationship? Why are they having to sacrifice love, marriage? I mean, think about what you're asking. If you're in a relationship, think of that person that you love. Think of having to let that go. Where's the mercy in that? All I see is sacrifice. So I won't dive too much into it. Again, Jesus' character 
And I'm gonna leave you with some food for thought on this one. Is your stance on whether being gay is a sin or not calling you to demand for sacrifice or mercy? Now, I wanted to share another parable because I don't want you to be like, okay, well, that's one instance. This next parable takes place immediately after this one, and it's called A Man with a Withered Hand. And it starts by saying, he went on from there and entered their synagogue. So Jesus left the field where the Pharisees were rebuking him, doing their Pharisee thing, and he went into their synagogue. That's like leaving a Karen at the grocery store and then walking into her house. It's about to go down. But a man was there with a withered hand. And they asked him, the Pharisees asked Jesus, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Now, this stopped me dead in my tracks because laws are a form of protection. Protect what, you may ask? People. Laws are existed solely to protect the well-being and happiness of people. Are they not? And you could say healing does the same thing. Healing is a form of protection definitely promotes their well-being. I know I'm happy after I'm healed. So these are two terms that you would think would be working together, yet they're asking them as if they're opposing ideas. They're asking, is it lawful to heal? Almost as if healing would be bad. Why? Because the act of healing, the act of doing this good thing is a threat to their law. Now, doesn't that just sound backwards? Again, laws are created for people, not people for laws. So why are the Pharisees protecting the laws? No, why are the Pharisees thinking about preserving the laws over preserving the people? Backwards. And this is Jesus' response to them. He's, again, trying to get them to refocus on what's important. Cheat sheet, people. And this is his response to them. He says, which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take a hold of it and lift it out? So I'm going to give you an analogy for modern day because, you know, not many people are sheep herders. So he's asking them, if your dog runs out into the middle of the road on a Sabbath, are you not going to go out and help him? I'm like, of course you're going to go out and help him. Why? Because the life of your dog who you care about his well-being and happiness matters to you as it should it's a living being so regardless if it's the sabbath you're going to go put in the work to go get your dog because his life matters so he says of how much more value is a man than a sheep so it is lawful to do good on the sabbath so if you can understand having to care about the well-being and happiness of this animal, think about how much more important it is for you to think and care about the well-being and happiness of a person. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand, and the man stretched it out, and it was restored healthy like the other. A good thing happened. He's got two healthy hands. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him, how to destroy him. So despite seeing this, despite hearing this good news, think of what the Pharisees are doing exactly. The Pharisees believed that doing work on the Sabbath was so wrong that holding on to that belief was far more important than stopping and thinking about what this man is feeling. They're willing to go to war 
over protecting this belief, but they aren't willing to challenge their mentality. And think about how this applies today. Mainstream religion believes that being gay is so wrong that they aren't stopping and remembering what it feels like to fall in love. Not only that, but they're causing hatred and division amongst communities, families, as if protecting this belief is more important than protecting the people that they're trying to put down. It's like priorities. Again, Jesus is calling us to refocus on what's really important. Laws for people or people for laws. So before I dive into this a little bit more, we're going to reframe this. I wanted to ask you two questions. Would you categorize healing as a good or bad thing? Would you categorize love as a good or bad thing? Now, remember how I said we're going to reframe this. Instead of a man with a withered hand, we're going to replace it with a man who is gay. Now, I know someone's flipping a table somewhere or canceling me on whatever platform, but remember, the, the Bible is meant for you to apply it to issues going on today. And mainstream religion isn't bullying people with withered hands. They're bullying people who are gay. So at the place where it says, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? I imagine today that this would be asked somewhat like, is it lawful to love even if they are gay? And I'm going to answer this in a similar format as Jesus did. Who has ever fallen in love? Did you decide to love that person or did those feelings just happen? What's more important, love or belief that man imposed, not God? So it is lawful to love, even if they are gay. Then he said to the man, go out, be with who you love. And the man went out and was able to love just like anybody else. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Dun, dun, dun. <sighs> so the reason I asked you those two questions is because healing by itself, you would categorize as a good thing, right? And love by itself, you would categorize as a good thing. Now, the Pharisees, if they heard that healing was going on, cool, whatever, probably even would have been happy for the person. But when they heard that healing happened on a Sabbath, they added an exception to this good thing and they condemned it as bad. Now, today, if you hear that two grown adults are in a loving relationship, cool, might even be happy for them. But the moment that you hear that they're gay, you add an exception to love and you condemn it as if it's bad. Now, both of these things stem from one, Believing that you know what is right and wrong in God's eyes and that it gives you a right to go judge and condemn people as if you're God. And two, it's you trying to simplify the Bible into a rule book. The do's and don'ts list of what will get me a ticket into heaven. And this doesn't fit into my equation, so it's wrong. You're going to hell. But again, the Bible isn't a rule book. It's a story. And if you do these two things, you're missing the big picture. And most importantly, you're missing who God is. You're missing his love, his forgiveness, his mercy. And I want to remind you that we're all sinners. We all fall short. So what gives you the right to tell people what God will and will not forgive? Remember, Moses was a murderer. I feel like that's, we can all agree, that's one of the worst things you can do. And all that gay couples are doing is loving each other. 
you know, the takeaways from both of these passages, you're, you're seeing a pattern. You're seeing that Jesus is calling these religious leaders to refocus on what's really important, not to hold on to their beliefs, to soften their hearts and refocus on what's important, which is the people. The well-being of people is his bottom line. That is what's most important to him. And that's what we're supposed to be inspired and mimic. And so, again, this is why you're supposed to read the Bible with the intent of learning who God is. Because if you try to simplify it into that do's and don'ts list, your rule book, you're going to end up being like a Pharisee. Because that's what the Pharisees did. They focused solely on their do's and don'ts. This will get me a ticket into heaven as if it made them more holy. And they were so caught up in that, that when God himself came down and was preaching all these good news, these kind, forgiving, loving words, they couldn't even recognize him when he was standing right in front of them. Again, you can't roll fall your way into becoming a Christian. Your heart has to change. And I know it's awkward. I know it's hard letting go of those beliefs when it's like something you've held on to so tightly to, but... Again, you can't rule follow your way into becoming a Christian. Your heart has to change. So accept that love is love, healing is healing, and don't have a hard heart about it. Don't promote hatred and division. Promote peace, love, and mercy. And this is the last thing I'll say about this, but I know as humans, we tend to think that we know everything. I mean, I know I do. I'm walking around with Google in my pockets, guilty. But one thing I've learned on my journey with Jesus is that he is constantly challenging one my initial response to things, and two, what I think is possible. And I bring this up because like anybody else, I question how the world works, why some things happen. I mean, we see so much pain, violence, war, and inequality, and I'm not just talking about in the U.S., I mean across the world. And these things don't just confuse me, but sometimes they upset me. And when I catch myself questioning why certain things happen, how the world works, I think of the answer that God gave Job when Job questioned God. God told Job that the universe is connected in so many ways that we couldn't even begin to imagine as humans. And we may look at a small piece of the big picture that is life and judge it as if we know everything. And sometimes when something happens that I don't understand, I try to think of all the ways that God may use that thing I don't understand for something good. For example, I don't know why God made people gay, but what I do know is that foster care is a thing, that we just banned abortions across the U.S., and I also know that people who are gay can't have kids of their own. Now, I'm not saying that this is why God made people gay. I'm just saying that God works in mysterious ways, and we shouldn't be so heavy to judge since we don't see the big picture that is life. All I know and all we need to focus on is that God calls us to be merciful and to love each other as ourselves. So I wanted to share why I decided to make this video in the first place. There is this YouTube channel that I sometimes watch called Jubilee, and they usually have debates between two groups of people, and they ended up having one between progressive Christians and conservative Christians. And obviously, the debate about whether homosexuality was a sin was included into this debate. And one thing that I did notice was that the only argument that the conservative Christians had against this was those late translations, which we already talked about at the beginning of this video that we're going to need to translate those back to Hebrew and Greek to understand that they aren't condemning homosexuality. Um, but that's not why I decided to make this video. 
within this debate, there was this young man there. I want to say he was like early 20s, maybe even 18. Like he was fairly young and he was very against the idea of being gay. And he ended up just revealing that it was something that he had personally struggled with. And one of the progressive Christians had asked him, are you gay? Are you bisexual? And he said, no, that there's a very high chance that I will never be married. And the same progressive Christian had asked him where he first heard the idea that being gay was so wrong. And he said at his church, that his church told him that it was wrong and that it was a choice. And he agreed with the progressive Christians that it wasn't a choice because he knows from personal experience. And this really hit me because I think that there are different types of love in life, right? Like there's a friendship type love, that there's a family type love, like I love my mom. And then there's a relationship type love a marriage type love, that I just want to be near you type love. And to think that he'll never get to experience that type of love, and if he does, he'll feel shame about it, it it, it struck a chord in me. And that should break your heart as much as it broke mine. Because how does it make sense that the love that he has to give someone would be any less than the love that a straight person would have to give someone? And the answer is it isn't any less because love is love just like healing is healing. And what I know about Jesus is he's the type of God who will stand up for his disciples breaking the Sabbath. Do you not think that he would stand up for this man to experience love, relationship type love, marriage type love, that I just want to be near you type love? Of how much more value is a man's happiness than some grain?